You've got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex and intimacy coach and psychologist, and I have spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create hot and healthy sexual and intimate relationships. We're working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time on this show, and it's never been so much fun to learn your ABCs. So today the letter is H, and H is for sexual history and censorship. Joining me today is Bosch. Bosch is a bookseller and collector of 18th, 19th, and early 20th century erotica and other sex-related books with an online shop at formysur.com. And we'll give you that link again towards the end of the show. He enjoys chasing down rare and clandestinely published books, many of which were ordered destroyed by religious authorities and governments at one time or another. They often have false and misleading imprints, allowing their publishers to avoid prosecution, and were freely pirated, which makes identification quite tricky. If Bosch has learned anything from his research of erotica, it's that sexuality in all of its glorious diversity has been a part of literature and art throughout history, and that when it comes to sex, there is truly nothing new under the sun. Bosch is also a rope bondage and BDSM instructor, a musician, music teacher, and web developer. So welcome to the show. Good to be here. So let's talk about this. I mean, this is a fascinating area for me because I'm a bibliophile. So <laughs> one <know>. of us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I mean, I just adore uh, adore books in all their forms, and I'm fascinated by things that have been censored um, and or destroyed. Um, how common has it been? Well, that that's actually kind of the avenue that got me into this whole business here. Um, is you know, the idea that before 1966 in the United States, it was illegal to publish uh, anything deemed obscene. Now, like most things with law, obscene is never uh, codified. It's never given a definition. So depending upon who you were and the political climate and uh, who you were talking about, um, you know, you could go to jail for publishing or distributing or or just having in your possession um, various works of pornography. That's interesting to me. So in the U.S., um, obscene wasn't defined. Um, um, I'm, I'm fairly safe in saying the same has been true in the U.K. Yeah. Although I do believe that, that, that we've ended up with more of a uniform definition in the United Kingdom at various points than in the U.S. But that definition wasn't around literature. The only place where there was a really clear definition was around um, film. Yeah. Yeah, because film, you know, film is very graphic and it can be very graphic. Um, literature, you know, most of the, the history of, uh, of erotic works, um, the things that have been uh, censored the most have not been about uh, salacious material. It's been about who that salacious material is written about. 
So if there's fallacious merit, yes. If it was written about uh, like Marie Antoinette or Queen Elizabeth, that was uh, seen as highly uh, pornographic. Right. Um, and so in a lot of, throughout the history, you know, before, oh, I'd say, um, you know, before 1800s um, and, and into, the, into, the, into the 1900s, that is really what drove censorship. So was that it, it was the famousness or the, or the, um, the class of the person that it was written about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that goes all the way back to where, you know, to when, uh, you know, Gutenberg first, you know, started this printing press. And, you know, even then, only high-class people could afford erotica. And, and to, to be honest, there wasn't a distinction. You know, many works, many classical works, uh, works from antiquity, had erotica kind of woven into it because it was a part of life. It was, you know, considered the normal, healthy part of life. If you look at Greek myths, I mean, there's all oh, kinds yeah. of sex going on. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of explicit sex. I mean, um, you know, going on in the Greek myths um, in Roman times, same way. It was just kind of a part of life. And so... We, many of us haven't, I mean, we have because we've looked, but many people haven't actually seen these things in their full form because they are censored later. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's part of what happened. You know, um, it kind of, like most things uh, sexual, uh, it kind of gets um, started about the time the Catholic Church kind of got power. Um, and so they kind of turned more or less a blind eye when it was, you know, the aristocracy uh, dealing with porn. But once the, uh, in this case, it was just erotica, uh, porn, by the way, and I'll, I'll go off on this tangent for just a second. Porn is not a word that um, is invented by uh, people who wrote erotica. Porn is invented by the people who managed to try to control erotic or tried to control erotica. Uh, porn is, and the more that erotica was controlled, the more explicit it became. The more it was controlled, the less it was incorporated into you know, your normal stories and your normal uh, novels, and the more it was written just to excite the senses. Okay, so, so that's quite different. So, it, so originally, when we're talking about things like... Um, it, more of the ancient literature, then we're talking about this is one part of life and it's integrated. So just as you would do a, a love scene might include a sex scene because that's what happens. And it was right. part of something. And then as we go further and censorship is happening more and more, now people are starting to write specifically with the idea of inflaming the passions was one of the accusations. So I'll use that. <laughs> You know, blaming the passions because it's no longer appearing within the regular literature. That's right. It's uh, it's all been expurgated. It's been right. taken out. Um, in fact, the Catholic Church had a, a list of books that are totally uh, not uh, you know a good Christian can't own. But they also had a list of passages in certain books that you could remove and still be, you know, a, a good Christian. Wait, I need to know about some of these. So tell me about <laughs> something that the Catholic Church felt, A, you couldn't own, or B, you could own it, but only if you took out certain passages. Well, a lot of the classics. So if you, if you talk about, um, you know, Petronius, 
the Satyricon, which is is kind of the best example of gay love right. between two men. Um, and so I, I don't know how they would have expurgated that one. It might have been on the prohibited list. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, people still studied the classics. And right. all throughout the classics, there were these episodes, you know. Yeah. Ovid's Metamorphosis uh, yes. was about a guy that was turned into a donkey. And he has sex with a, a girl. You know, those type of passages would be, would be removed uh, in, in those expurgated uh, books. So then you were looking for the unexpurgated version. Oh, my God. Exactly. Exactly. And there, you know, Fanny Hill yeah. uh, is, you know, written in 1740-something rather. There are lots of different versions. And one of them is actually um, done by the uh, Christian Science Church. They're publishing house, rare books, uh, publishing house. And they, they did a version of Fanny Hill that was totally uh, uh, sanitized. Well, how do you have a sanitized version of Fanny Hill? There's sex <laughs> on every page. I, I have no idea, and okay. I haven't read it. Uh, but, I, uh, but I actually just found a copy of it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's interesting, because it, and other people have taken Fanny Hill throughout the ages and added stuff. Uh, what I find fascinating about that is Fanny Hill, I would imagine, is one of the ones that up until the Catholics started looking at it, nobody cared about because it wasn't being written about somebody famous. No. And so it would have been one of those things that would have just been, you know, it was sort of, it was a frivolous novel and it would have been seen as a frivolous novel and nobody really would have worried about it. But it becomes a target of, because of the fact that now we're looking at where is the sex and removing the sex. Right, right. In fact, um, you know, the, the, the first time that, uh, that someone went to court in England, you know, it was, it was about a, a, a work uh, that was erotic and, in, you know, inflammatory, but they didn't go after, this is way after Fanny Hill. They didn't go after the publishers of Fanny Hill, you know, because right. it didn't have that connection. It wasn't uh, okay. offending the key, king's peace, so to speak. I love it. So we are um, just a couple minutes off of break. Um, I'm going to take the opportunity to talk about Nadia New Orleans because um, I don't know how many of you are planning on going, but I think you really want to put this on your schedule. Nadia New Orleans is July 24th to the 28th this year, and it is the largest lifestyle convention for couples in the world. Over 1,300 couples attend. The event is not only a full takeover of two of the French Quarter's biggest hotels, but it also takes over Bourbon Street. For more information on this amazing party, there's a parade, there's parties everywhere. And if you want to book your spot, head over to thesexylifestyle.com on the travel and events page, and you'll be able to find information about it there and make your booking. Don't miss out. This one's going to be a lot of fun. Um, okay, so um, we are going to head over to break in just a second, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about sexual history and censorship, and more about some of the kind of maybe more famous pieces that have been censored and the reasons for their censorship. We will join you back in about two minutes after a word from our sponsors. See you then.
Sexy is back, and we've got it going on all the time here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the stay-dry barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Welcome back to the show. This is H and H is for sexual history and censorship. And Bosch has joined us to talk about all things censored and erotica. So um, I'm interested in what do you think are the most famous bits that have been censored? Well, um, you touched on something earlier, and I kind of glossed over it, went off on tangents. Um, The rise of pornography mirrors the rise and the democratization of books. So when books started to become available, it's also, by the way, the rise in novels. Right. So, you know, they were always worried about young girls reading novels, you know, and how it was going to corrupt their minds. Well, now that books are available to common folk, then all of a sudden... Uh, churches and uh, governments have to step in to protect common folk because they can't handle it. Um, so, so we're worried about ideas now. Um, in actual fact, sexual sens- uh, sen- that censorship of sexual stuff is, is, is really an offshoot because now they're worried about people getting ideas. Right. About freedom, about um, having a different station in life, about having a different role in life, or even moving within the classes. Right, right. And, you know, the, especially in France, uh, leading up to the French Revolution, um, there was an explosion in pornography. And it was most predominantly uh, aimed at making fun, at criticizing the aristocracy. Um, You had, um, you know, criticizing the church, you had the, the, the porter of Chartreux, and, and I, I don't speak French, so I'm going to ruin, I'm going to butcher these French words. Uh, and so much of erotica is in French. Um, but, uh, you know, which this, this book talked about these priests and these, these clergy who abused, you know, this girl and, you know, all these big orgies and all that. So, yes, it was salacious. Yes, it was erotic. Uh, yes, it was, you know, in, in many definitions, pornographic. But it was a direct... Um, comment 
on the power of the church and, and what the church is capable of. So, so in a sense, it's, well, not in a sense, it's being used as an attack. It's being used as another method of getting a message across to the populace um, yes. about what, what, what they believed. I'm, I'm just fascinated by, um, by the places where these things um, diverge. So we, so we have lots and lots and lots of concerns still around film and around imagery and yet pay much less attention now, although I know that's changed much in the United States, and we can talk about that. But we tended to pay much less attention to what's actually written. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, you know, over the last hundred years, that's less of an issue, what's, what's, what's written, what we're going to censor since um, six, after the book burnings during World War II. Right, right. Right. Yeah, so um, I... I, I suspect that it's uh, when you see something that is explicit, it rea- you react differently. Uh, in these uh, old books, a lot of times the actual words, like Fanny Hill, didn't have a swear word or a vulgar word in it, no. but it was often accompanied by some very, very explicit pictures. Um, and a lot of times the explicit pictures caught the eye uh, more than, you know, the particular words. That's so I imagine that, that is happening today again, because, you know, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. Well, apparently it is in porn too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know that, you know, certainly that that's been a big issue and there, but I find it fascinating yet again, that, that we, we, we the focus when, um, when people are attacking um, any media that depicts sex and sexuality the focus is very much on um, the damage that the imagery will do and this, that, and the other, almost as though they forget people can read. Yeah. Yeah. And they also forget that the damage, you know, when we're talking about damage, we're usually talking about the damage to the young and innocent. The damage that is done to the young and innocent is often, you know, telling them they're, they're dirty because they have sexual thoughts. Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Um, but there have been recent book burnings, which oh, yeah. surprise me. Um, so what do you know about what's been going on with that recently? Not much. I kind of stay out of anything um, that happens after 1966. <laughs> so where do we get to? What's the last censorship in 1966? Um, have we hit the uh, Oz trial yet? Or are we, it, was, or- it was actually Fanny Hill. Fanny Hill oh, right. in Massachusetts. Um, which is funny because Fanny Hill has this place in, in erotica. It has this place because it was the most published. It was the most banned. It was the most burned. It was the most pirated. Um, you know, there's so many different versions. It was also the most um, changed. It, you know, people would go in and change passages. And there is actually, um, in, in a certain part of the book, there is a, a, she, she observes a gay scene between mm-hmm. two men and no one really knows if that was in the actual book or if it was added later uh, just because of, of how many different versions of Fanny Hill there is. But Fanny Hill, um, because it was so well known, because earlier in Boston, it was on the list and it was banned and people went to jail for owning it and selling it. Um, laws were created uh, specifically in Massachusetts. So that when Putnam in 1963, published the book, 
of course, Massachusetts took them to court. And that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And in 1966, the Supreme Court memoirs versus uh, Massachusetts, um, that they decided that Fanny Hill did not meet the standard for obscenity. And in doing that, just be, the way it was written, it opened up, um, it opened up uh, publishing so that very, very little does meet the standard for obscenity. That was what I was going to ask. So did they, were they then setting the bar? They're then actually defining it in that case by saying it doesn't meet the standard. They're essentially defining the, defining the standard. Right. Because, because, you, because Fanny Hill is so well known. So you can look at that and say, is this more or less salacious? <laughs> is it right. likely to be a problem? That's and, interesting. And, and it was, wasn't the only uh, case that went to the Supreme Court that year. There was also the case against uh, Ralph Ginsburg, who did the Eros magazine. Yep. Um, and his crime, his big crime was sending uh, salacious advertisements about his magazine through the mail. And, uh, and that, that violated the Comstock laws, which is a whole other thing that happened um, in the 1800s. And, uh, and so that also went to the Supreme Court the same year. And he was actually in jail at the time. Um, and they also decided that what he was sending and his magazines were also not obscene. And so a lot of these kind of culminated um, in, in these, these, these Supreme Court cases in 1966. So then what was obscene? Well, that, that is a good question. <laughs> you know, because we have, uh, we have a certain level of uh, obscenity uh, when it comes to violence. We have a certain level of obscenity when it comes to, of course, children. Uh, we have a certain level of obscenity when it comes to, um, you know, making, causing harm. Causing harm, okay. Right, right. Um, you know, it, it fantasizing about causing harm. But, you know, in, in the age of Tarantino, you know, yeah, what I mean, is obscene? <laughs> well, and that's the question, because I know that certainly, I mean, when we're looking at the difference between film and books, and again, you know, th there is postulated to be this very big difference because uh, of, of the impact that imagery has. But actually, um, as a psychologist, I would argue that um, 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 imagery does not necessarily have more impact than the words, um, where you, your own imagination is what creates the imagery. So right. um, it, it, depending on the person, you could actually create something that has more of a negative impact in your own mind than you're actually seeing on the page, um, than you're actually seeing, sorry, in the film, from what right. you've written on the page. Um, but it is fascinating to me that, that we will look at the amount of violence in scripts and books on television, explicit, explicit violence, none of which is considered to be obscene. Um, but people fucking. That's obscene. Is, that's obscene. Right, 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 right. Exactly. And this and becomes an issue in rape trials as well, which is also fascinating, um, which I understood it got better. Now it apparently has gotten worse, but um, Things like the police will take photographs when a uh, when a woman is raped, if um, if there's been physical injury and there's there's something to see, they will take photographs. Um, and certainly, there are occasions where judges say that the, that the pictures themselves are obscene. 
because not because there's a vagina in the picture or a vulva in the picture, but because of the amount of damage that's being shown. That seemed to be obscene. And yet what they're judging is an act that is obscene. But that's right. not the fact that you take away those photographs and, and makes it less likely for the jury to convict. Is the violation not, is still there. That's right. And yeah. so, and so, you know, having those, those photographs will make it more likely that the person who is the abuser is getting convicted, but they don't want to offend people by showing them the obscene image. Right. And it just there's no logic in that. <laughs> and I suppose that that's how I feel about censorship as well, that there's very little logic in what they choose to censor and what they don't choose to censor. That's right. And, you know, back, back before, uh, when, when things were more incorporated into your daily life, when things were more incorporated into culture, um, you didn't have that. As soon as somebody started saying, okay, these things are evil, these things are dirty, these things you should not think, that opened the door for, you know, uh, subversives to then make, make works that, that did that, that very thing. And that was targeted to do that very thing. Exactly. Rather than having it be integrated into daily life. Yeah, and that separation, that separation is important to think about because we've been separated from sex ever since. Yeah, and, and actually, uh, one could have a really interesting discussion about what kind of damage that, just that in and of itself does. Absolutely. Because, because we put this as a separate, um, not equal part of life without very clear rules about what we're, uh, what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable with, with a lot of change, without clear understanding and clear information about yes. what's contained. So we are um, just about at our second break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation further because this distinction is a really important one. If you've got questions, please do ring in or write in, email in. We're really happy to answer questions. If you can't think of them right now, but they come up during the week, send them in for next week and I'll answer them on the show next week if I can or point you toward the correct resource. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to the Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. Mystery Vibe is where the best of humanity and technology combust into your pleasure. Personalized, the world's first body-adapting vibrator. Crescendo adapts, bends, wraps, and vibrates in your every curve and crevice. Use solo, duo, trio, or more. And with an app control that commands your pleasure across 12 presets. Oh, and you can even make your own vibration. Crescendo is adored by all, from feminists to Forbes. Go to mysteryvibe.com now for your pleasure. Personalized. This is the A to Z of sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. 
And we're back for segment three. This is H is for Sexual History and Censorship. And we're talking with Bosch about, we were la- when we were last speaking, about that distinction that's now made now that we have specific erotica and it's no longer really integrated into books as much. We now have works that are specifically targeted at inflaming people sexually and separate that part of life out. So, I mean, I'm fascinated by that because I hadn't really thought of that angle before. That actually, that was part of the way that this big separation became made, that sex is taken out of life. Yes, and as you were saying before, what's happened is that people grow up with being, being segregated from sexual ideas, sexual literature, sexual education, and then they are kind of thrown to the wolves, especially, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, around the turn of the century, 1800, um, when, when these, when, when there was a, a, a large amount of pornography written, um, young girls who started to read novels, this is the age of, of novels, and everybody was afraid that the young girls would get these ideas about romance and about sex and about, you know, uh, having control of their own bodies and all this stuff. Out of this time, and this is one of my favorite subjects, so I'm going cert- to insert it in here because I, I love talking about her. Um, one of the most overlooked uh, pornographers, because it was deemed pornography at this point, was, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher her name because I don't speak French, Felicité de Choisel Muse. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wrote around the turn of the century, 1800. I think her first book was 1807. And she started out writing erotic, erotic books. Uh, they were deemed pornographic. Her first book was Julie or How I Saved My Rose. Don't ask me to say that in French. But <laughs> it's basically about a young girl who has decided she's going to remain a virgin. But she's going to do everything that she can. Uh, she's going to indulge her senses without losing her, her virtue. Um, uh, Catherine Norberg describes the book as a virtual hymn to the female or- orgasm. Now uh, I need to go out and read this one. <laughs> well, it's hard to find in English. Uh, I've been looking for a copy in English for, for a while, and I know there was a copy made in the 1840s, in 1850s in New York, but I, I can't find it. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those books that, that mostly only exists in French, which makes me want to learn French so that I can read it. Yeah. But I, I, do, I do have some translations uh, of it. And, you know, first of all, pornography is usually written by a man. And interestingly enough, it's usually written from the perspective of a woman. Yes. Usually a young girl. And there's, there's social reasons for this. You know, a, a young girl like Fanny Hill could go through all of these changes and experiences and experimentation and be shocked and be curious, uh, you know, with homosexuality, with, with all these, you know, with flagellation, with, with all these things, that, that all these fringes of sex. And men could read about it, but men do not want to read about a man 
going through this experimentation? Well, because men did not, men did not want to, and I, I actually still think this is a thing, um, the, 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 the um, desire not to put themselves in another man's shoes, to, yeah. to coming from a male perspective, because somehow that touches on some weird homophobia. Well, that homophobia is, is a, a very uh, good uh, explanation for what happened. If, if men are seen as exploratory, then that is just one of the, the, the offshoots that's going to happen. That's you know, a slippery slope, too. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. But it's interesting to me because it's, it's like even if, even if the writing is heterosexual mm-hmm. and nor- completely normative, why there was an issue with, with a man hat taking, looking from a male voice. Right. But, but I know that there was because a, a, a lot of the stuff from that time period is written from the female perspective, but men, men don't know what the female perspective is. So it's fascinating. <laughs> it's a mess. When you read it, it's an absolute mess because it's a guy writing about a girl's experience and, just another example of a, the patriarchy putting words and thoughts into the mind of our ideal uh, young virgin or, or whatever, or, or the prostitute or whatever. You know, so mo- most, of, most of the books were written by men uh, with a woman's voice for consumption, in theory, by men. By men. And it- but, that's, but most of the films were done that way. I mean, <laughs> obviously women act in them, but... You know, when you look at up only up until recently, yeah, most visual pornography is about women experiencing various things at the hands of men. But it, but they often try and start from a woman's perspective and present a woman's perspective that doesn't really exist because it's not a woman's perspective, and exactly. it is targeted at men. And right. we wonder why kids have such a screwed up idea about <laughs> what actually happens between men and women. Well, so this is, I think this is one of the things that is interesting about uh, uh, choicey, choicel muse, well, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll call it that, even though I know I'm butchering the French, is that one of the things that her books did is they, all of her heroines have been, you know, girls 15 to 18, and they've all been about kind of saving yourself. They've all been about enjoying yourself. She gives her female characters, um, you know, desire, you know, and sensuality. Because they're saving their virginity because they have to. That part of it is is that is, is, it's certainly at the time period, but even now in in some circles, because they have to, because otherwise they ruin their chances. But Absolutely. what she's doing is saying, here's all the wonders of your body. And so they're coming of age, that bit. It's the coming of age bit. Here, explore what you have. Right. She, she actually speaks to, um, ha- about female sex empowerment. She sees sex as a matter of power. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that, that her character says, um, well, here's a good, good example. One of her characters um, uh, is talking to Julie about, um, you know, keeping her virginity. And uh, she's talking to um, her, her male lover. And she says, you know that when we give you what you want, our happiness, our peace, even our existence is under your power and you dominate us completely. 
<laughs> she says that men reward women by destroying their reputation, treating them with scorn and delivering them over to shame and proclaiming their defeat. You know, so this, this is the message that this, this author was giving young women, you know, totally, um, totally new, totally revolutionary, um, totally against the male view and total empowerment, even though it's it written erotica. Was it censored then? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Julie, uh, Julie was uh, actually ordered burned. Wow. And, uh, it, you know, of course, it was, you know, destroyed, all copies destroyed. Um, her next novel, um, and these were her first two novels. Her next novel was Amelie, and it was banned. And it was, it was about two women. One was virtuous, but in fact, she seemed virtuous, but in fact, she was a whore. And the other one, everyone saw as corrupt, but in fact, she was pure. And, and, and so it was, it, it's kind of a... Um, a woman's view of Desaad's Justine and Juliet, which is kind of the same thing, you know, yep. virtue rewarded, uh, virtue, uh, uh, virtue is punished. punished. Virtue yeah. punished, yeah, virtue yeah. Punished yeah. And, and, and um, hoarded rewarded, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so she would write in, in, in Julie, the one that was saving her rose, she would write about all sorts of sexual activity. She would write about lesbianism. She would write about masturbation. She would write about uh, oral sex. You know, she was very explicit about what she was, was writing. And, um, and it, of course, she used euphemisms, which oh, yes. uh, also helped, yeah. Um, the and, French euphemisms were so good. Yes, 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 yes. So it's fascinating to me because these things which were – um, from a woman's point of view, which were essentially saying to women, you know, take your power, use your power. You have this power, so use it. Um, otherwise, you are just, you will be destroyed by men because that is what they do. Right. Um, and, and so it's the politicalness of what she's saying that gets oh, critics, burned. Critics hated it. Um, they were appalled that a much less appalled about the erotic writing. They were appalled that a woman would write such things. And then later on, you know, 50 years later, they were trying to prove that it wasn't written by a woman, that it was actually written by a man. Now, you only have to read the, the stories and read, you know, the, the, the content to realize that, no, no man is going to write about... One of the things that, that happens a lot in Julie is that a man loses his erection. Yeah, men don't write about losing erections. <laughs> men do not write not about men, losing erections. Yes, yes, yeah. I don't even really write about losing erections now, so yeah. they certainly didn't do it then. So you know, there there are a lot of there are a lot of of of, of, of we, although we don't know much about her life, we are very certain that it was written by women for women and for education, sexual education of girls and women. Which will have changed, um, and we're, we're about to go to our final commercial break, but which would have changed very much um, as a result of the fact that we now separated all of this sex out. So it's no longer uh, writing a novel with everything in it. It's, it's, it, it's making it a point of educating. Um, right. Because erotica has now become a separate genre rather than 
part of typical writing because we write about all parts of life. Um, and so in the last segment, we will continue this conversation. Um, again, if you've got questions, please do phone in or write in. We will be happy to answer them. And we will see you back in just a couple of minutes. Explore your deeper desires. Listen, learn, and live sexy here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. We're back final section of the show. So we left off, we were talking about um, this writing, which was written by women for women and actually really in the guise of, of educating women as to how they can take their own power in hand, sexual empowerment and therefore relationship empowerment at a time when that would be seen as heinous. And um, unfortunately now seems to be also seen as heinous. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last segment, um, I wanted to kind of talk about the unusual things that got censored and burned during the time periods of your interest, the things you wouldn't have expected, because that's something we all could have said, yes, we totally understand why that was banned, given the time. But what what kind of stuff that was strange that you went, hmm, why was that? Well, much of what was um, published before, uh, before books became democratized before anyone could buy books. Like for instance, the, the, the Cameron oh. written by Boccaccio around uh, about uh, 1360 thereabouts. Um, you know, he wrote, it was basically a bunch of people escaping the plague uh, and they were holed up in a, a, a chateau and they were telling stories. And these stories were often body. They weren't erotic but you still had husbands cheating on wives, wives uh, cheating on husbands. Uh, you, you had priests, um, you know, having sex with the farm girl. Um, so at this point in time, you know, around the late 17, uh, early 1800s, there had to appear because of, because everyone having access to books, there had to appear these expurgated versions of the Decameron. Uh, wow. Same way with, uh, you know, a lot of things from, like, uh, Fontaine also had tales, Traparola yeah. was, were, were a, a group of tales. All these tales um, and stories were 
very small short stories that weren't actually written by these people, but more compiled. So you mm -hmm. see the same story in the Canterbury Tales as you do in, in the Cameron, um, because they were folk tales. But somehow the idea of people having sex uh, was, was deemed um, dirty. Wow. And so all these books had to be, you know, we had to protect people from these books, from these ideas, you know, whereas at the same time, uh, if you were, say, around the turn of the century, late 1800s, early 1900s, if you were into being beaten, you were called a flagellant. Right. You were into being yeah, a flagellant. You'd have to go to whorehouses and find women who specialized in that to beat you. And this was about the only way, unless you had a, a relationship with somebody who was also into it. And very many important people, people in Parliament, I'm talking about England here because that's where it's most documented, uh, were flagellants. They love to be beaten, you know, nothing wrong with it. It's all fine. They just love to be beaten. Well, in the day, you, of course, could not, you know, write material legally, but you could read books about the Orient. And in the Orient, there were these sheiks and there were these, uh, you know, kings and they had these harems and they did these awful things to the women who were captured in the harems and rapes and, and beatings and all this. And then, and then they ended up loving it and staying with them. These, these stories were kind of all a part of this Orientalist movement in literature and, 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 and were written freely. Which is interesting. So that's why that, that's why that looks like that, that, that movement looks like that because, because you couldn't simply decide to write a story about this and, <laughs> and then enjoy reading it because that would have been heinous and we would have had to have banned it and burned it. But if we say those other people over there who those are not other people, and yes. Don't look like us. Get involved in all this nasty stuff. And isn't it nasty? That's acceptable. That's acceptable. It goes even further. Um, I don't know what you did when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, I didn't have access to pornography. It was, uh, you know, before the internet. Mm -hmm. And of course we had National Geographic. Well, if oh, you yeah. go to National Geographic, you can actually see naked people because they would take pictures of naked people. Well, similar to that, but even more heinous, was the anthropological studies of, of relations in all cultures. And so they would talk about how in this culture, women did this and did that. And in this culture, men did this. And there was, you know, there were even books that, that had pictures of breasts in every single culture. You know, these are anthropological studies only for men of science. Exactly. Right. So we have a whole book of tits for men <laughs> right. only. Right, right. You know what, do you know what makes me so sad about that right this minute? A colleague of mine has just put out a book of Asian vulvas. Mm -hmm. I kid you not. She did a Kickstarter for it. Um, and the reason that she did this is because women... In, in this case, she was looking at Asian women, and she's also Asian. Asian women 
have no understanding of the many differences between women. And so there's a lot of focus on not looking right and not being right. And there are issues around women getting vaginoplasty um, because they think there's something wrong with them. Right. Uh, and, and that we actually have to have somebody put out an entire book for the reason of letting other people know that they're actually okay. When back then, we've got an entire book so that men can stare at women's breasts. I mean, it just... <laughs> so we make, we make people feel dirty, horrible, bad, and wrong. That's acceptable. And then for one portion of society, it's acceptable to do things in the name of science that are really just to satisfy their own needs. Right, and their own curiosity. Hmm. You know, the, in the same book um, that, that I was referencing with the different breast types, there's also the different genital types. Right. And they Perhaps even so. go further and they talk about hermaphrodites, they, they, they talk about intersex, or what we know now as intersex. And, you know, there are studies on... Um, on flagellation back in the day that read like not little short stories. Right. So what we've got is we've got BDSM porn. BDSM porn. Disguised as scientific uh, research. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So all these things were legal. All these things were legal. And it was also legal if you sold these things to private subscribers. So, so you, could join, you could join a club just like you would subscribe to a magazine. Yep, in fact, these clubs were listed in the back of, of salacious magazines. Join this club to see, yada, and they, the ads are pretty salacious in themselves. But join this and get on the list, and we'll send you opportunities to buy, you know. Uh, pictures of, of every woman's breasts, pictures of, of every right. woman's vulvas or oddities, because that was also, yeah, oddities, yes. also being done at the time when freak, freak shows and things like that were, were very popular and so i imagine that there were oddities that went along with that so all of that was is seen acceptable and yes okay. and uh, you could also write about the parisian sex clubs and what went on in the parisian sex clubs which uh, presumably you had to go to in order to find out what went on. <laughs> exactly exactly but you know erotica itself had to be sold under the counter you know, if we're talking in the 30s and 40s, you had pamphlets, you know. Yeah. The, the early version of Penthouse was a, a little pamphlet about, uh, you know, four inches by, you know, six inches. And, and this, these pamphlets would also, you know, have illustrations and they'd have, you know, very poorly written erotica, let me tell you. you know what I was going to say, so, I mean, so like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we don't have much longer, but I did want to raise that. Is that one of the things that I think... Uh, that makes me also makes me sad is that often um, we lost good good writers and good literature, yes. Um, yes. And, and we got given a bunch of crap. Yeah, uh, and and that continues to this day. There are some amazing writers of erotica that I know, some of whom I'm friends with, who are incredible. They they do characterization. They write a good novel. They're good novelists. It just so happens that there's a lot of sex and erotica and, you know, eroticism in their novels. It's great. It's fantastic. And yet we also have in the same category, junk. Yeah. Like people who don't know how to write. Well, it's but the lowest common denominator. It's, it's whatever yeah. is easiest to get out there. It's cheapest to print. 
and will satisfy most people. And what's unfortunate is it's part of the reason that that is able to go on so easily is because we've separated this out and so it's titillating. So there's no value put on actually telling a decent story right. because right. sex is not integrated back into life yet. We're so still used now, to getting our sex and then getting our literature. We're not used right. to having yeah. sex in our literature. And yeah, which is much preferable, I must say. Yeah, um, absolutely. If you're a reader, now, not everybody's a reader, but if you're a reader, you actually want your sex in your literature. You want somebody who writes well. Okay, so we're about to end. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure um, being here. You can find him on formysir.com. You can find some amazing books and magazines and things I have purchased from there. There's some, it's hard. If you're like me and a bibliophile, you'll find it hard not to spend too much money. <laughs> um, and hopefully um, you will join me next week where it, the topic is, um, I is for interracial relationships. So thanks very much. And I'll see you next week. Hey, sexy people, if you're ready to start your sexual evolution, we've got some amazing prizes to give away. Some of the great prizes include Womanizer, the most advanced pleasure product for stronger, longer, and more intense orgasms. SDC.com is giving away a lifetime membership to the sexiest online community of open-minded people. Touch from experience, warm. It warms your personal lube, then automatically dispenses it with a wave of your hand. And we can't forget Throws of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket. Keep your bed dry no matter how wet it gets. For your chance to win one of these amazing prizes, simply send us an email at info at thesexylifestyle.com with the word contest in the subject line. Your name will be entered into the weekly drawing and remember to visit our website regularly for a list of the winners and more information about all the amazing prizes and sponsors. Go to thesexylifestyle.com contest page and enter as often as you like. We hope you learned something today. But if you have more questions, go ahead and email them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Then be here next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of the A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. See you next week. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. Mystery Vibe is where the best of humanity and technology combust into your pleasure. Personalized, the world's first body-adapting vibrator. Crescendo adapts, bends, wraps, and vibrates in your every curve and crevice. Use solo, duo, trio, or more. And with an app control that commands your pleasure across 12 presets. Oh, and you can even make your own vibration.
vibration. Crescendo is adored by all, from feminists to Forbes. Go to mysteryvibe.com now for your pleasure. Personalized. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the stay-dry barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now.